Welcome to Lips on Life. I'm your host, Jessica Lips, and in this interview series, I'm talking to extraordinary people who are living their dreams. It's my hope that their stories will inspire you to live your own dreams. So let's get started. I'm excited to welcome Bryce Pinkham as this month's guest. Bryce is currently starring in Holiday Inn on Broadway. He is perhaps most well-known for his Tony nomination for Best Performance by a Leading Actor in a Musical in A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder. But what you may not know about Bryce is that in addition to his Broadway credits, he's a film and TV actor, Yale Drama School grad, Annenberg Fellow, and the founder of a charity. And he's only 34. I had the best time learning about Bryce while doing research for this episode and can't wait to hear from him in person. Bryce, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. There's a lot to learn about you and your background because you've done so much at such a young age. But I want to start at the very beginning, like the very beginning. So where were you born? I was born in California uh, in a town called Redding. Which Where's is, that? It's in the shadow of Mount Shasta in Northern California. My parents worked with horses right out of school and were working at a nearby horse ranch. And that's that's where I was born. I was born into a, a, a ranch family, I guess. And then uh, they moved to Texas with another ranch they were working for. So I went with them as a little kid. I mean, real little, like under a year. And finally, they decided that that was not going to be our life. And so they moved us back to California, where I grew up. Back to the north? Yeah, back to the Bay Area. And my mother worked 30 years in a veterinary hospital as a veterinarian technician, you know, cats and dogs. And uh, and my dad ended up getting into these newfangled machines that had been coming into the ranches that were being used to help track horses and food and rations and all that called computers. So he he ended up getting into computers and working at one of the first Macintosh retail stores in San Francisco. So my parents lived a sort of um, adventurous young life. And so I think I picked up on that um, at an early age. So if your parents were into animals and computers, where did your love of the arts come from? Did you have that in an early age? Well, let's backtrack for a second. My dad actually had the bug before me when he was in grade school. My grandparents moved to England for a job my grandfather had over there. And so my dad went to boarding school in England. Imagine a young American kid in a class of English boys. And the only way he found to come out of his shy American shell was in one teacher's specific class where she taught history by sending the kids to this trunk and saying, all the costumes for the story are in that trunk, and we're going to tell this story, but we're going to tell it on its feet. And so this was the one place where my dad sort of felt like he could come out of his shell, and he found that this was his kind of way in. He fell in love with performing and in with putting on shows, so he kind of had the bug but took on a different role as a horse whisperer. I think I picked up on that from him and, and definitely inherited a lot of his sort of... Um, both performative inclinations, but also I would say his shyness as well. I think that's part of the reason I enjoy it is for a similar reason. It's a place where I feel empowered behind a, a character. And on a stage, you're, you're, 
you're seen, but you're also really protected, you know? So anyway, as the story goes relating to me, my parents were called into a parent-teacher conference when I was in first grade, and the teacher said, you might want to find Bryce an outlet for his reckless creativity. Reckless creativity? What was that? How was it manifesting itself, especially in first grade? Yeah, I don't I, I don't have the specifics. The the quote is the only thing that survives. I maybe ask my parents, they might know. But um something to the effect of <laughs> his histrionics in class are, are are not a welcome interruption to the flow of learning. Clearly I had a need to um to be creative and I mean, even to this day, I sometimes have a hard time focusing. And something about being on stage and performing that really requires focus and requires a certain um, discipline, but also allows for and actually encourages the creative mind that is allowed to wander and be inventive and imaginary. Um, so not knowing it at the time, but sitting here today, it's easy for me to understand why my brain, whatever my brain chemistry is, was drawn to that combination of discipline and focus, but also creativity and imagination. So is that when you first got into theater? Did you know before first grade that you had a passion for the arts or no, was it? No, no, no. No, so, okay, so, so tell so, us the story. So basically the, the teacher said, find this kid somewhere else to perform <laughs> other than my class, essentially is what she was saying. And so my parents put me into a theater camp, you know, for kids. And like a lot of actors, I just caught the bug. I thought, well, this is it. So you knew it at an early age or I, after you had gone to that camp? I knew that I loved doing it. Did I know that I wanted to do it for a profession? No. I just knew that I enjoyed performing. And, you know, as I got older, it was where the girls were. You know what I mean? Like the summer, the summer theater was like, well, yeah, of course I want to be in the musical. Um, so, <laughs> That's so, so it, funny. In, I love that. In truth, it was a hobby that I took seriously, but I was never the kid who was like, I'm going to do this and I, I'm starting now. And, and I give credit to my parents so that they let me do a lot of different things, not just theater. I played a ton of sports. I was in scouts. I've been sort of tasting a buffet of, uh, of of different activities from a young age. And again, in retrospect, that I think ultimately was a benefit to me that I didn't sort of lock it in so early. I was encouraged and thankfully uh, in a position to experience many different things. Was there something else at a young age that you thought you might do? Yeah, I went through many different phases. My mom worked at a veterinary hospital, so there was a, a period where I thought I was going to be a veterinarian. And that period ended promptly um, at the end of one summer that I spent working at the veterinary hospital, probably when I was, I don't know, 12 or 13. And um, I have two specific memories from that time. One, I used to go in on the weekends when there was no doctor there and just, uh, you know, some of the animals would stay over the weekend, they had been operated on and needed isolated or, you know, they were boarding there while their family was on vacation. So I would come in and feed the animals and, and change their bedding and uh, clean up after them. And I remember distinctly on one Saturday going in early and uh, it was my mom's day off and I went into the veterinary hospital and there was one particular cat and... Her name was Heidi. <laughs> I'll never forget. 
And she was just intent, I was convinced, on hurting me. I mean, she was just ready to strike, did not want to be moved, did not want to be touched, making just sounds you never want to hear come out of an animal. Um, and it was my job to like move her from one kennel to the next. And I couldn't do it. They have these big cat gloves that you put on so that, you know, a cat won't bite you or claw you. And I had these huge gloves on and I couldn't like get up the courage to move this cat. So I finally made the most embarrassing phone call to my mom on her day off. I said, mom, I can't move Heidi. Can you, she said, I'll be right there. And my mom flew down to the, to the veterinary hospital on her day off. <laughs> Show in my memory, she's in her bathrobe. I'm sure she wasn't in her bathrobe, but she was at in her at home clothes. It's not like she was dressed up for the day. Walks in, doesn't say a word, no cat gloves. Ca- grabs Heidi by the scruff of the neck, throws her in the kennel next door, uh, locks it, and says, "I'll see you at home." <laughs> and you know, it was just one of those moments where I was like, "My mom's a hero. She's a hero, and I'll never be able to do half of what she does." Um, the other moment was when, at the end of the summer, I said, "Mom, I, I really want to sit in on a surgery. Like, I really want to see if being a vet is something I can imagine doing." And she said, "Okay, fine. Come on in." So we sat down. You know, it was a, I had to wear the smock and like put a mask over my face, and like we sat down. My mom was there with me, and the doctor was like preparing to operate on this dog and um i was sitting there and i finally like leaned over my mom and i said what are we you know what are we watching today and my mom goes oh it's a neuter (laughs) (laughs) and so (laughs) within the first five minutes of this surgery i knew i was not going to be a veterinarian (laughs) that is a great story (laughs) Um, so so i went through a vet phase i went through a sports phase um i played a ton of soccer like every kid that age you're convinced you're going to be some sort of major league sports star i did a lot of summer backpacking i was in the boy scouts so we did a lot of um trips to places like Yosemite and the Sierras. Uh, So I had dreams of maybe just running away to the mountains someday, and uh, who knows? Uh, It's funny now when I look back and go, I really didn't have a clue what I was going to do. But but maybe somewhere I always knew I was going to do this, and so I wasn't worried about it. But I guess it didn't really solidify until college. Halfway through my time at Boston College, I uh, had an experience doing a show that I felt like oh my goodness, this is the perfect combination of everything I like to do. It's hard work. It feels like I'm in the middle of a sporting event. I feel like an athlete, an artist, and a creative mind all at the same time. This is the greatest thing ever. And and I would regret it if I didn't try and take a shot at making my life like this. Wow. What was the show that inspired that? Well, there were two, actually. I, one was La Bette um, by David Hearson that uh, was recently revived on Broadway with uh, Mark Rylance and David Hyde Pierce. And uh, I was playing the role that Mark Rylance played in which there is an opening monologue that he says in rhyming couplets that lasts for about 10 or 12 minutes. It's just him talking. That's intense. It was. It was very intense. And I remember when they cast me thinking, like, this is impossible. Why did I say yes to this? And why have they put this in my hands? But then once I got into it, it was the greatest gift um, to be able to prove to myself that I was capable of such a thing. 
And so that felt in a way like verbal athleticism. Again, the focus and the mental acuity to kind of remember all the words and to be able to perform them. And the, the character is just outlandish anyway, so I had a blast doing that. Um, and then the second show was a Moliere one-act in which I played a sort of Arlecchino clown servant who, in the style of Commedia dell'arte, was sort of improvisatory and um, very, very, very physical. It was a one-act farce about a servant who gets caught in a lie and has to pretend to be a doctor to himself. And so there's like this great scene where I remember like running up the side of the set to be in the balcony where the doctor was and then jumping down. It's called the flying doctor, jumping down from the balcony to play the servant and then having to run back. So it was just this, again, this sort of feat of athletic exertion. And I remember after the show feeling like I was doing something that I just loved and, um, and it was those two back to back where I sort of said, well, I think I'm onto something here um, because I'm not sitting at a desk, which I know I don't do well with after a certain amount of time. And I'm using all the tools that I have or have been given or learned um, in service of making people laugh or you know, in some cases, cry or leave the theater and call their mom, you know, whatever the thing is. I felt like, well, not only is this good for me, it's good for others too. And I was like, bingo, sign me up. Let's see if we can do this. And then I decided to go to grad school and train and, and really sort of hone hone the craft. And here we are. You mentioned grad school. Did you go directly out of college? Or... I did, yeah. I'm going to um, backtrack for a second. Sure. And in college, um, these plays that you just mentioned, were they extracurriculars or were you studying theater? I was a theater and communications double major. And at Boston College, I was also given the opportunity to study a bunch of different things. So when young people ask me about should they go to theater school if they think they want to be actors, I usually tell them no. I usually say go to college and go to a college where you can do a lot of theater and not have to be a major or not have to sign your life away. And because I think learning about a lot of things is as important to being an actor as learning how to, you know, speak Shakespeare in a natural way. So I always tell kids who are thinking about it, go to a place where you can do a lot of things. And include a business class, even if you don't want to. Take one single business course, which is the thing I wish I had done. It's really strong advice. So you majored in theater and communications and then went directly to grad school. Where did you go and how did you choose it? Well, I didn't know, actually, going into grad school auditions that I wanted to go to grad school. I knew I wanted to audition and find out more about what grad school was. Um, and so I think that actually helped me give a better audition because I had not put the pressure on myself to get into um, top-tier grad school in four minutes. I just said, well, why don't I just try and make a good impression? And then when I'm ready to go, 
if I'm ready to go in the future, they'll remember me and I'll be able to go then. So I kind of um, tricked myself. And the next thing I know, uh, the Yale School of Drama asked me if I would join their incoming class. I kind of had this moment of like, well, what am I going to say? No. Um, <laughs> so so I ended up there and, and uh, they were an incredible three years that I'll never forget. And But what's interesting is when I think about Yale drama school. I think about serious acting. You've had a career filled with serious acting, um, but you've also branched off into musical theater and had incredible success there. So am I wrong about Yale Drama School being a place only for serious acting and not including musical theater? You're right. The, the Yale School of Drama is not a musical theater school, but it's training people to tell stories in a way that is meaningful to them, um, it's really training artists more than it is just training actors. And it's a school of dramas, which means there's not just actors who are there. There's directors, there's designers, there's people who want to be producers, there are stage managers, there are um, dramaturgs. So it's really training you in the theatrical process such that it can be applied to any number of genres. Um, as far as the actor training, you're also correct that the sort of standard material is Shakespeare, great American playwrights, Tennessee Williams, Arthur Miller. It was originally designed as a training for American repertory companies, uh, for the Guthrie, for... ACT for, you know, a number of different companies across the country that don't exist as they once did. So the school itself has had to consider its role in the landscape of acting. And as such, uh, there is a singing class in the three years that I'm proud to say works really well in the training of actors because there is nothing more vulnerable than singing. And the reason that's true is because as I'm speaking to you now, I can stop and take a breath. I can pause. Mm, good point. And right. when you're singing, there is no chance for me to take care of myself. It's constantly releasing breath and sound. You're under much less control when you're singing as a, as a performer. And it's a really vulnerable thing to do, as people who sing, whether they do it professionally or not, know. It takes a lot of vulnerability. So I remember our first day of singing class, without exception, we all had trouble getting up and singing. And here we are, you know, 16 actors chosen out of however many applied to the Yale School of Drama, many with stage fright in the first day of singing class. So that tells you something about just the use of it, whether actors go on to be in musical theater or not, um, it, 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 is, it holds an important place in the pedagogy. I, I could have said to you, however many years ago it was that I w was graduating Yale, that I'm only going to do serious acting. And then never gotten cast in anything and never had a living as an actor. So at a certain point, I had to say to myself, well, do I want to work as an actor or not? And if you look at Broadway, 70% of the shows on Broadway are musicals. So I had to sort of learn a business mind 
um, and a way of looking at things in a more strategic business way. But if you look at Broadway so and say, I want to be where those people are because they're theater actors, which I have proposed to myself and others that I want to do. They're able to live in New York on an actor's salary and not have a part-time job or a survival job, as we call them, um, while they're doing that job. So that's where I want to be. It's the only place, actually, that I can do that in New York is on Broadway. Okay, well, 70% of the shows on Broadway are musicals. So when my agents come to me and say, do you want to audition for musicals? I'm saying, yes, I do, because I want to work. And so, you know, I didn't do my first play on Broadway until I had been in a Tony-nominated role in a Tony-winning musical. And that tells you something about the business side of of the art. Because if I had my choice when I left school, I probably wouldn't have done musicals. I was prepared to do great American plays and Shakespeare like I had trained. But I also was able to take that training and apply it to musical theater in a way that I think is really helpful and rigorous. And um, musicals don't get enough credit oftentimes for how how deep their characters can be explored. And never mind when you're presented with something like Gentleman's Guide where you're on stage the entire time and never had a moment to breathe or even grab a sip of water. I had done that in a play at Yale. So I knew I was capable of it. So I was prepared to take that on. What's striking to me is that you said that your first class in singing happened at Yale drama school, in grad school. Is no, that accurate? No, no. it's okay. not accurate. I, I think what I meant was on our first day of singing class as a group at Yale. Um, no, I, I sang in musicals as a kid. I did musicals as a kid. Um, so I knew I had that sort of capacity or that um, knowledge of it, but I never would have learned to approach a role the way I now approach a role if I hadn't trained as an actor first. If I had trained as a singer, I would not have built the same process that I now follow and believe, which is that the music and the song is all in service of a greater story. And it's my responsibility to learn that story and try and figure out how I, as the chief defender of my character in that story can represent both his journey throughout the story and also serve the greater vision of the piece, which at times, I grant, can be difficult because I also just like to perform and make people laugh and, you know, be out on stage. But I think the responsibility that at least I try to uh, <laughs> use is to the greater picture, the bigger picture, which says, oh, right, Bryce, this moment isn't about your character. It's about so-and-so having that moment over there. So why don't you help the audience see what they're supposed to see from the creator's intention? Are those techniques that you use both for the stage and also for film and TV? What's, what's your preparation process for a role? Sure. I mean, they're they're obviously different because um, 
in theater, you rehearse in a room for a number of weeks and you have the opportunity to go, well, what if it's this? I don't know. What if it's this? Um, why don't we try this? Why don't I just try something for fun? Whereas film and TV don't have that luxury. They ha you have the luxury of doing it a number of times over again if you mess up. So it's not a live performance. But in a way it is because you have to show up on the day with your opinion about what it is ready to go. In fact, you kind of have to show up to the audition with that, at least a strong proposal for what the way you see it. So I do the similar work, but a lot of times in theater, I'm doing it in the room with the collaborators and we're all talking about it and there's more, um, there's more breadth to the exploration. Whereas in, in TV and film, um, I, that's kind of got to happen on my own. And when I show up, I have to show up with, again, with my opinion and be willing to let it go at a moment's notice and listen to the minds in the room because they know the grander story of the episode or the season or the entire track of the show or movie more than I do because usually in in my instance I'm on set for a few days you know or I'm on set for one day and then I'm off for a week and then I'm back for two days whereas everyone who's been behind the camera has been there the whole time so they have a they have a bigger bird's eye view than than I do so I kind of have to put my trust in their hands um Nevertheless, I try and show up with a strong sense of who my character is, what he wants, and how he's trying to move his life forward. So tell us a little bit about your career path. What happened when you left Yale Drama School? And uh, tell us a little bit about some of the musicals you've done and uh, bring us up to where you are right now with Holiday Inn okay. on Broadway. Yeah, my, my first job out of school, I always knew, uh, would be as a waiter. And, what? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> And, and it was. I played uh, my first job out of school. I, oh, you don't mean actually being a waiter, serving people. You mean no, playing I, the waiter. I, well, I mean both. I, I did wait tables um, for, for a while in New York, but my first job out of school was playing a waiter on stage in a production of uh, Christopher Durang's Beyond Therapy at uh, Williamstown Theater Festival that Alex Timbers cast me in. And my second job out of school was a play. I played a character in Arthur Miller's A View from the Bridge, the character of Rodolfo, who's an Italian immigrant. Um, and I did that at the, the Guthrie's. And then I moved to New York, and um, Alex Timbers again uh, cast me in Bloody Bloody Andrew Jackson, which turned into my Broadway debut. And, uh, you know, once people see you in a musical, they go, oh, he, he could be in musicals. Um, so then I started auditioning for a lot of musicals. Really, again, at that point in your career, you're taking anything that's that's going to pay you and not uh, have you waiting real tables, which, as I said, I also did. Uh, then I was cast in my first uh, lead role on Broadway in uh, Ghost the Musical. And a year after that, uh, A Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder cast me. And how did that come up? It was just through a normal audition and they said, he's the guy, we want him in the part? Yeah, it did. I mean, um, it's funny. It, <laughs> I feel bad saying this, but I initially turned down the audition for the same part when the show was going to Hartford 
because at the time I, I had decided I didn't want to leave New York. Um, and so I turned down the audition. And then when I found out the show was coming to New York and they were still auditioning for that part and I knew Jefferson was doing it, well, I said, well, I, I would love to audition for that show. Um, you know, again, it's like it, it, it's a business thing as much as anything else. I had made a decision for myself that I didn't want to do shows um, that weren't in the city. And I was willing to stick it out in the city to live by that. Um, so when the show was coming to the city, I did audition for it. You can ask them what their reaction to me was, but uh, I don't think anyone was going, oh, it's Bryce is coming. I think they were like, who's next? But again, I will say that one of the things Yale taught me was to bring something I am proud of into the room. And... I remember that audition specifically, and I know we're going to touch on Madagascar in a second, but I had just come back from Madagascar and this amazing experience I had there. It was one of my first auditions when I got back, and I was so um, excited, reinvigorated to um, bring my creativity and artistry to bear on material in New York that I remember working on the audition very hard and you know, almost to a place where I was performing my version of the part for the audition in ways that I just gave myself permission to do things. I seem to remember just doing some ridiculous things in the audition that I felt served the character, served my vision of the story, and my understanding of the genre. Who knows what that, you know, helped them see, but I'm certainly grateful, I'll be forever grateful that they, they gave me that opportunity. Well, I saw you in the show and you were just phenomenal. I can't say enough. Thank I loved you. it. And for those that are listening, um, if you don't know what we're talking about, if you haven't seen A Gentleman's Guide, you can go to YouTube and you can Google their Tony performance and it will give you a sense of this person that's sitting here with me today. He is so unbelievably talented and that clip shows it well. So I recommend that you go. So Bryce, you just mentioned coming back from Madagascar. So would you tell us a little bit about that experience and what it's led to? Yeah, um, a good friend of mine who's also an actor took a trip there and had a sort of uh, life-altering, heart-opening experience. Um, and he came back and, and encouraged me to return with him and to bring some other artists with us so that we could work with some kids that he had met over there. And so I wasn't doing anything at the time. Um, and so we raised a little bit of money and, and took a team of 10 artists over there and worked with about 14 kids, all from a specific neighborhood in the capital city. Worked with kids doing what? We helped them build their own show and took a basically a Malagasy folktale and helped them put it on its feet and add music to it and costumes and, and we basically taught them how to build their own show. Um, and then we took them on a tour of their country and helped them perform that show. So um, it was really seminal experience for all of us involved, but uh, what it led to is what we now raise money for and help uh, fund and operate, which is an after-school center where 45 kids last year and in this next year, 80 kids will go after school to get a meal, to get mentorship, to get homework help, and to get theater and storytelling uh, performance programming. 
So, uh, you know, it's it's grown into this incredible thing. What's it called? It's called Zara Aina, which is spelled Z-A-R-A-A-I-N-A, which is a Malagasy expression, which means share life, um, which is really the sort of vision of the project is that it's not a one-way street where the privileged Americans arrive and deliver some aid. It's really, we found in our experience, a two-way street where we arrive with uh, a certain set of skills and a certain toolbox, but we learn so much by spending time with uh, those kids and learning from them how little it costs to be joyful and how laughter sounds the same in every language. Um, and, That's beautiful. And, you know, connecting through them, uh, we didn't even speak the same language. And yet, we were able to do a show together. How? <laughs> well, well, we did have translators. We do have translators. But that's not the point. The point is that um, cross-cultural exchange is really powerful stuff. And specifically when you're talking about an exchange between first world citizens and third world citizens. Um, because Madagascar is a third world country. These kids we work with live in abject poverty. And yet um, they have something we don't. And so that sharing of life is, was really crucial to our idea. Um, and it's part of the reason we named our organization that. And we believe that by taking American artists there, we're investing in their artistry here in New York by taking them over there and broadening their horizons, especially young people, and um, uh, introducing them to a part of the world they have, know nothing about. And do you still go to Madagascar? If yes, how often? We've been going there for four years. I have gone two of the four years. So I did Gentleman's Guide, and I left to do uh, a play, The Heidi Chronicles. Um, and before I went back to Gentleman's Guide, the producers knew that I had this desire to go back to Madagascar. And so I went I went back there. They allowed me to go back before I went back into the show a second time. Um, and... Whether I return uh, this year or not, you know, remains to be seen. But what excites me about the project is that it's beginning to take on a life not of its own because we uh, do a very rigorous uh, fundraising campaign here, um, but it's finding a sustainability to it in Madagascar that is ultimately the goal, is to create something that we can hand over and um, continue to support, but not have to be there to have it exist. That's wonderful. Currently, you are starring in Holiday Inn on Broadway. Um, and when that ends, I think that there's a lot to expect from you. What can we look <laughs> forward to? I feel like you have a lot of projects coming up. I know. I know it's a sort of a strange confluence of events. Um, in January, uh, Holiday Inn, we run through January 15th at uh, Studio 54. And uh, once that closes, this TV show that I shot back in the spring, Mercy Street, on PBS, is entering its second season. And uh, I will be appearing as a series regular on that, on that show, a very fun character um, who goes by the name Major Clayton McBurney III. 
What a name. Yes. <laughs> You've actually had several really fun names yes. in the course of your career. That's right. I only take characters with good names. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, Major Clayton McBurney III is the new chief of the hospital and uh, is a very quirky fellow. Um, I call him the iron fist in the velvet glove. I'll let you figure out what that means when you see Ooh, the show. We'll have to watch. Um, All right. And then uh, what else? I uh, filmed an episode of The Get Down. Um, Ooh. Which will, uh, Baz Luhrmann, right? Yes. Netflix. Um, yeah. I'm in the second half of the of the episodes. I think I'm in episode 11 or something, um, but I sing in the episode. Uh, that's, that's all I'll say for now. Um, fun. Uh, so, yeah, it's really fun. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, it was a great day on set. Uh, I was there with... Uh, um, Renee Elise Goldsberry uh, was also is also in the episode, so we had some some fun uh, Broadway Broadway time. Wow! On, on, Definitely uh, look forward Baz to that. Baz Luhrmann show, and then uh, lastly, I'm in a, a quick little cameo again, singing in um, uh, Robert De Niro's new film, The Comedian. Um, a really fun uh, <laughs> again, a really fun character. I play a, a regional theater actor who has a recurring. Uh, act at an old folks home and i'll just leave it there (laughs) (laughs) you have really had fun roles over the years i feel like there's a a comedian in you i love it um uh sadly we're coming to the close of our show i hate it i've got so many more questions but um pick your favorite one i hate it well you know i'm gonna um i really want to know that uh, two things the first is um what's your advice for young people that want to go into theater. I heard you earlier. I heard you say, don't go directly to a theater school, go to college. Um, But what do you want to share with anyone that's considering a career? Yeah, I would say, again, it's not called show fair. It's not called show fun. It's not called show everybody gets a chance. It's called show business. And so in as much as you should invest in the creative side of putting on a show, I would encourage young people to invest in the practical side of learning how to run a business. I run my own business, and I'm the product. And I didn't understand that right off the out of the gates, but I do now. And um, I became an actor partly because I don't think I wanted to go into business. But I accept on some level that, no, this is a business, and I have to think of it like that. Um, so I would encourage uh, young people to just dabble in it. Um, And it's not going to hurt if you decide ultimately that you don't want to be an actor or that you, you know, most people who are actors also go on to do other things. Um, And if you're going to survive as an actor, you probably are going to have to do a lot of things really well. So I would encourage uh, a broad focus of, of study. That's great. Um, And as we come to the close of the show, the show is about dreams. It's about living your dreams. I feel like you're doing that right now. But what other dreams do you have for yourself moving forward? Big picture, long term, what else do you want to accomplish? Um, I've always wanted to be a dad. uh, And that that will happen at some point in my life. (laughs) Um, Come hell or high water. Uh, So I'd like to raise a family. But... um, That's so funny. I love that you took... Uh, that that direction with the answer to the question. I was expecting you to talk about something professional. And it's really interesting that here you are, you've had all this professional success, and now you're starting to think about what it means personally and to have a family. I Yeah. Um, it's worth mentioning that, you know, a fuller life can only better inform an artistic life. Um, and so I believe... Absolutely. I believe that in some unfortunate cases, you really have to 
go through life if you want to be an actor. Um, at least the best actors have seen some shit. I think um, uh, investing in that uh, personal family life is something I definitely want to do. Uh, other than that, I'm, I love traveling. I mean, I just, I feel like there's so many great places to explore on this earth that uh, I'd love to find a job that allows me to um, to do a bit more of that, whether it's touring uh, or, um, you know, a show that films in some exotic location. I just, I like to travel. I like to get out of town. You know, I get cabin fever no matter uh, no matter where I am. So so uh, to, to jet set is, 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 is on the list. Well, I'll ask the question that everyone wants to know. Are you dating anyone? Is there a prospect to lead towards a family? Yes, yes, I am. But, uh, um, you know, here's some, here's some advice for, for young people. If we're training as actors, we're learning to be private in public. That's what we're learning to do is to act in a way that maybe we don't show in public all the time in public. And that's part of the training. But I also think and don't take this the wrong way, <laughs> that there are certain things that we should actually keep private. And like my personal life is one of those things that I kind of always encourage young people when they, if they're on a path to, to being in show business, I always say, keep a little part for yourself. Keep it tight, grab onto a little part that's only for you. Um, so the answer is yes, but the details are only for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And that is a great note to end on. Bryce, I can't thank you enough. You are so talented. You're so wonderful. It's been a pleasure having you here. We look forward to seeing what's next. Thank you so much. This is Jessica Lips with Lips on Life. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.